0: in the office during the week. <laughs> what will it take, though, for God to get your attention? Somet- I remember my brother-in-law, before he was my brother-in-law, I was the creepy little brother, and he was the boy coming over to visit my sister. And I would mess with him some, but whenever we'd sit there and uh, we are watching TV in the family room, in the front room, he was one of those guys that would go, get so into it. His name was Steve. You could call, hey, Steve, Steve. And he was just so engrossed at, at what he was watching that it took for, he had to literally shake him before he would uh, look up at when you were calling him. And sometimes we're like that spiritually. It's easy for us to give a laser focus sometimes on the wrong thing, but when it comes to the things that are good for us, that are right, that are God-honoring, we give but a glance. And today we're going to continue in our series of Daniel called Resolved, and we're going to see God getting the the attention of several different people, and it begins with King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, that was going through a very fitful and frightful time in his own personal life. I'm going to first of all read chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and last week we found that God gave favor to Daniel, and he was basically put into a group. He and his friends of basically Babylonian magicians and fortune tellers. He was in a very special class of people because the ability God gave him in interpreting dreams and understanding visions, and it becomes very important as to what Nebuchadnezzar is going through in verse 1. It says this, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell them what he had dreamed. When they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Now, in this group of astrologers and soothsayers Daniel and his friends were not a part of. They were sort of in a junior class. These were the erudite, educated, uh, likely older, seasoned enchanters of the day. And the king, you might say he had a royal case of insomnia. Maybe some of you have been there before and you, no matter what you tried, you couldn't sleep. Or maybe you slept and you woke up in the middle of the night and you went, uh, it took forever to go back to bed. Maybe it's because of a sickness, maybe it's because of your mind just wouldn't shut off and things like that. But regardless, when we are having a restless spirit, oftentimes it's hard for us to realize what's going on. And this morning, as we talk about when God gets your attention, on your outline, the first thing to note is, number one, when God gets your attention, give your restlessness to him. This would have been a great time for the king Rather than call the wise magicians of the day to come before him and for him to say, tell me what's going on, it would have been a great moment for King Nebuchadnezzar to humble himself before the one true God and say, Lord, I give up. I'm restless in my spirit. I can't seem to ever shut my mind off. I can't even sleep. Lord, I give it to you. Maybe there's a restless spirit you're going through emotionally or spiritually in your own life. And it has yet to occur to you that God may be knocking on the door of your heart or closing in on your mind and wooing you and drawing you to a deeper dependence upon him. There are times, not terribly frequently, but there are times where I can't sleep very well or I wake up early and uh, there are times where I've been, you know, I've, do you ever do this? If you can't go back to sleep, you sit there and you'll give the Lord maybe 10, 15 minutes. You know, Lord, I'm just going to give her a try. And, you know, I quote verses like the Lord gives sleeps to, to those whom he loves. And, Lord, I know you love me. And so I'm just claiming that verse and I lay I lay down. And it's like the Lord saying, not going to happen tonight. <laughs> and so sometimes I'll get up and I'll begin reading the Bible. And all of a sudden, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour later, my thought is this. I did not know how badly I needed to be with God. Sometimes it may, it's not that I hadn't read the Bible or prayed the day before, but sometimes it's I haven't lingered. And there's certainly at 3 a.m. in my house, there's not a lot to do but linger before the Lord. And maybe the same in your house as well. And it's like the Lord is saying, hey, slow down. And sometimes during those moments, I did not realize how many things I was struggling with or how many different things I was actually worried about that I just sort of tucked away. If you're restless and God gets your attention, give your restlessness to him. Now, you might remember some of how the story goes. He becomes quite the demanding potentate. In verse 4, then the astrologers answer the king in Aramaic, O oh, king! live forever tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it the king replied to the the astrologers this is what i have firmly decided if you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it i will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble but if you tell me the dream and explain it you will perceive from me gifts and rewards and great honor so tell me the dream and interpret it for me well this king didn't play around did he at this point, the uh, wise men are shaking in their sandals, and maybe to stall time, and maybe just to make sure they understood this unusual cre- request correctly in verse 7, they said, Once more, they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will interpret it. There's some debate as to whether the king forgot his dream, did not know it, and that's why he was giving them the burden of it, or some. Some say and feel that likely he did know it, but he wanted to give no chance because it was such a troubling dream of any kind of shooting from the hip or some type of deception from them. And so he wanted them to tell him what the dream was all about and give the interpretation. And In verse 8, then the king answered, I'm certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's just one penalty for you. You've conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change, so then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. Now, at this point, the astrologers are fearful, but they see the unrealistic, unimpossible situation that uh, the king has put them under. They have very little to lose. They actually say something. These were not godly men who knew the one true God, but they also say something that is true, In verse 10, the astrologers answer the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. You know, when we come to that place spiritually and and realize that this is something that man can't do. There's not a man on earth that can do only what God can do. He says this, no king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. We would say, of course, the one true God who does dwell among men, but at least they realized this was something that the divine can do, not man. Well, the principle about when God gets your attention from those verses is number two on your outline, and it's simply this, when God gets your attention, quit asking too much of people. Now, this is not to say that we shouldn't have strong expectations for others, it's just that Sometimes we ask for people to do the impossible. That might show itself up in our home relationships where we put an unbearable burden upon our spouse to be a certain way or our children to be a certain way. And when they fall short of our expectations of them, our love or our sense and experiencing of our, our that love can sometimes be hard to realize and so we put unbearable expectations on others sometimes the way this looks is that we put our hope in others other than the lord you know the scripture tells us in psalm 108 verse 12 that uh, that the the battle belongs to the Lord for the aid or for the help of man is worthless we put our hope in man who is fallible who lacks in strength and vigor and we attach our dreams and our identity to someone else maybe if they are here and and they can come in and save the day it maybe you've put too much hope in a spiritual leader or maybe you have put too much hope in a friend that would be there for you and they have flaws and weaknesses and your dreams are thwarted and crushed because this person didn't meet up to your expectations, and we have to come to the place where we quit asking too much of people and put all our hope in the Lord. It was Nebuchadnezzar that said, "Man can help me out when I'm distressed, but we have to realize that only God is worthy of our unswerving hope because his faithfulness never fails. It was Paul that said in 1 Corinthians or 1 Timothy 2 verse 13 that that God will be faithful even though we are faithless. And it says God cannot disown himself. In other words, God's very nature is that of loyalty and faithfulness and he cannot disown who he is in his very being. So when God gets your attention, don't run to man. Don't place your hope in another human being, no matter how wonderful and loving and helpful they might be. Place your hope firmly and squarely. In who God is. Now in verse 12 and 13 you can imagine how this kind of talk did not go over very well with this ruler and tyrant so to speak. In verse 12 it says, This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. And men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. You see, anybody that was in any category, senior, middle rank, or junior, was now going to be killed because of this unbelievable, overbearing, impossible request. Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar did not believe in cooler heads prevail. He had an impulse of rage within him that overflowed and made an awful decision now fortunately god is so good to us at getting our attention right when we're going to do something awful and foolish our our issue is will you respond to the lord and give your impulses to him that's the third principle is is yield your impulses to him when god gets your attention maybe your struggle is similar to king nebuchadnezzar's is that you are good at smiling in places like this and uh, maybe at your office maybe at the right place and no one would ever know that you would have a struggle with a deep-seating anger but it comes out when you are pushed or it comes out when you are at home and sometimes Others are in the wake of your shrapnel, and it's something you've struggled with for years. Has God brought you to the place where he's got your attention, and you can simply yield that impulse to him? The living Lord can heal the deepest and worst struggles with anger, and it's not that they fade away with the snap, but they can begin to decrease and lessen when energy is put consistently in a growing relationship with Christ. Maybe your impulse is not an anger that you should yield to him. Maybe you're an impulse, maybe of a a sexual perversion type of struggle that you're with, and one of course one of the the biggest issues and wrestles with that in our day is something that's viewed as more quote respectable, respectable type of a sexual struggle, and that would be pornography. Now it, it's it can still be thought of as improper and poor for someone to have an illicit affair. It gets in the talk of the town or it gets in the newspaper and and outrage uh, still abounds because it hurts. But yet we hear very little outrage when someone begins to struggle and begins to give themselves regularly to the viewing of illicit movies or pictures or images you no longer have to go to those gross places on the side of the road where you can park your car behind a wall and sort of not be seen you can do it in the quote privacy of your own home but the living lord is watching and one of the things that happens is when there becomes an addictive behavior at pornography it begins to deaden our emotions and our sense of Proper spiritual perceptions, you see, because ladies weren't created by God to be gawked at and be viewed as uh, pieces of meat and figures for fantasy, they were created to be helpmates with their husbands and for them to be cared for and nurtured and for their gifts to be utilized in the kingdom of God, not to be so degraded in their worth and value. I remember reading the story of a Christian that struggled deeply with pornography And it said that God got his attention one day after for years being addicted to looking at uh, perverse images that one day he got out of his car and he was going to the gym and it was a large busy parking lot and he got out of his car and he saw an attractive lady I guess that reminded him of something he had viewed, an image he had seen and he couldn't believe himself but he went over to her and grabbed her by the arm and had a, a frightening look on his face and then she looked up at him Horrified. And it was like finally he woke up, and she was too shocked to scream. He got in his car, drove away, and he said, God finally got my attention. He began to get help. He began to get accountability, and he began to memorize verses that God used. And he said, he said the most simple verse is what began to set me free from my addiction. It was simply this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God he began to come to the place where he was preferring purity to impurity because he wanted so badly to see God. Maybe you're like King Nebuchadnezzar in some type of way this morning that your impulses have governed you and God is saying, I want to govern you today. Now, there's a a fourth principle that can help you this morning when you when God gets your attention, and it's found in verses 14 through 16, and that's this: when God gets your attention, be ready to be used by Him. You see, this is where Daniel comes into the story. It says, When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. What a great way for a man of God, for a woman of God, to present themselves to others, to be people with wisdom. And with tact, in verse 15, he asked the king officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariak then explained the matter to Daniel. And at this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. It's interesting. The king would have nothing to do with the other wise men asking for more time. But when this junior man who had courage and boldness and composure went before the king, it was like God gave him instant favor. Maybe he remembered that encounter a few years ago with the testing of the the vegetables and the water against the king's food. Regardless, Daniel woke up that morning just another day in the king's court in Babylon, and this day he woke up ready to be mightily used by the Lord. Has God gotten your attention in a certain situation where you didn't realize that God was engineering circumstances for him to use you in a way that you'd never dreamed. I remember several years ago, uh, I was, remember those, you know those play places that uh, you take the kids or the grandkids and they play on the little things inside restaurants? Well, I was with one of those probably 10, 13, 14 years ago and my older kids were playing on those uh, with those little balls and climbing those things and you know, oftentimes when I'm out with my wife and my children, I'm it's not that I've checked out, but I'm trying to give my attention there rather than other people I might meet. But there was a, another husband and wife that were sitting there watching their kids play and my kids play, and it was like God was like, kind of nudging me. Hello, Cliff. Talk to them. And so I, I just spoke to them and struck up a conversation. They ended up, ended up realizing that we lived within a mile or so of each other. And I was a pastor of a church, of course, in the area. And I just asked them if they attended church. They said they did not. And I told them where we met and said we'd love to have you sometime. That was the that was it. We didn't exchange names per se, but a few weeks later, I was I saw a couple coming in the church, and I remembered that's that's the that's the play place couple I, I saw. And so I was hey, so good to see. You. I'm really glad you came. And I, I greeted them by their name as far as I remember, and we struck up a conversation. And I. Began meeting regularly with this person asking he had a lot of spiritual questions and i had no idea at that moment when i took my kids to the play place that he had a lot of spiritual questions it seemed for six nine months we met fairly regularly until one day he said cliff i think i'm ready and it was though the eyes of his heart were open and he he became a follower of christ got baptized and began coming to a bible study in our home he and his family and I remember as I look back at that moment, all I was doing was getting a hamburger (laughs) that night and letting my kids jump up and down on a play place. But the Lord said, you know what? In this unique moment, this normal mundane day, I want to use you in a way that you'd never imagine." And maybe you have a Daniel moment where God's put you in a situation for you to shine your light brightly. Maybe you don't have any kind of natural boldness or natural wisdom in your own thinking. But God wants to use you regardless of all the gifts you think you don't have. Because he has ample love and power and discernment to use you for his name's sake. Well, what happens also when God gets your attention, number five on your outline this morning, is that we must put our energy into seeking him. What happens when apparently the king gives Daniel more time? In verse 17 it says, Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Well, this particular moment was a definer of their spiritual life there had been given favor from the king to do so and the first thing he did was find brothers in the lord to pray and seek god together and and this principle is a reminder that to not let turning to god be your last resort but your first response This is exactly what Daniel had to learn, and time and time again didn't wake up and say, oh, this situation is so bad, we might even consider talking to God. It became an impulse for him to say, we need the Lord so desperately. And maybe you're at a place of spiritual desperation. You've moved beyond a sense of restlessness, but you sense that there is a spiritual emergency in your life. Don't let the enemy whisper in your ear that there is enough time for you to think of your own grand ideas and for you to pull yourself up by your own spiritual bootstraps. Call out to God. Have the courage to ask for prayer. Maybe you don't know too many Christian friends, but have that sort of spiritual courage to simply say, I need someone to pray with me. Maybe you're part of a Bible study class, but you still don't have that kind of forwardness for you to speak up and say, Will someone pray with me? I'm deeply going through something. And Daniel had that kind of courage and God blessed it. Now, apparently what happened, well, we know it's more than apparent. God says that the Lord gave Daniel wisdom and revelation. during verse 19, during the night the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven. So God answered his, the prayers of his servant very faithfully. What I love is he Just immediately, with this great impulse, he goes into this prayer in verse 20 and says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He acknowledges that God is the one who has all wisdom and power. He acknowledges that God is the one that reveals wisdom and power. And then in verse 23, he says this, I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers, you have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. But he wanted to be so crystal clear who the revealer was, that it wasn't Daniel's incredible giftedness. It was the grace and mercy of God. And and so, you know, you could see when Daniel got the revelation, maybe he's making sure this crazy king doesn't have his clock going off too fast and he could have rushed over said, king, 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 king. Guess what? I know the dream. I know the interpretation of the dream, but before he did that, he stopped and he praised God because he wanted to live for the glory of God. That's the sixth principle, live for his glory. When God gets your attention, it's time to make sure that God is the conscious center of your life. You know, that's why I'm excited about what we're, to, what we're going to do at the end of our service today because we're going to have a time of reflection on the cross of Christ And yes, the cross of Christ is a great demonstration of the love of God, but it's a demonstration also of the glory of God. You know, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and with it we all have fallen short of God's glory. You see, sin is the failure to glorify God. But because of the death of Christ, because He took our place on the cross, He died for our sins, it frees us to live for the purpose He made us, to live for His glory. In just a moment, we're going to enter into a time of response. And maybe God has gotten your attention in this very service or throughout this week. And this is a great reminder for you to be on track with what God's plan for your life is, what his agenda for your heart is. And, but maybe God's gotten your attention in your spiritual life to bring you to the place where you're ready and willing to personally receive God's gift of salvation. As we enter into a time of response, I'd like us to bow together. And as we're bowed before him today, what will your response be to him? Matter of fact, we're going to have an a invitation that's similar to the types we have on days we have the Lord's Supper. Rather than standing and coming forward, we're simply going to remain seated to give you some moments to reflect and prepare your heart for the Lord's Supper. But if you are here today and would like to become part of our church family or to come forward for baptism or to come and say, I'm ready to receive Christ in my life, we'd simply love to talk and pray with you. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the cross of Christ. Prepare our hearts as we wait before you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. As, as our